from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt here with Matt Lombardo for the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about the Giants. <laughs> Obviously, they're, they're a dumpster fire right now. Uh they're looking even worse than I think you are. You or I thought they possibly could have. But um, what, coming out of that last game, like what, what? What was your? What was your? I don't know. I mean, we talked a lot after the game about like there's not any obvious winnable games even on their schedule right now. So like, what, what was your feeling when you walked out of MetLife the other day? Yeah, Zach, I think dumpster fire is the adequate term for this, right? Because if I'm driving down the road, I'm not necessarily going to look at the dumpster fire, but I'll look at the derailed train. I'll look at the <laughs> the the car wreck. I'll look at the five alarm fire in the house and say, oh my God, I hope everything's okay, everybody's okay. And, and I'll probably stare a little bit longer than I should, but I'm not looking at the dumpster fire. And, and I think that if you and I weren't paid to watch the Giants right now, I don't think I would have made it much past the third quarter on Sunday because that that was easily Daniel Jones's worst performance as the Giants quarterback. The offense can't run the ball, can't block. Uh, the, their receivers are a guy named Damian Ratley and C.J. Board who are going to have to play prominent roles at least for the next couple of weeks. And the defense just can't seem to get off the field on third down. So I think dumpster fire is the perfect term to describe what the Giants are right now. Other than all the things you just said, they're great, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wrote after the game. I, I think that there's a legitimate chance that they go 0-16. When you start looking down the schedule yeah. and you look at you know just the way they've lost these games, like that was a one-score game going into halftime. And, you know, I've kind of perfected the wait in line for the chicken fingers just before the two-minute warning move. <laughs> so right before the two-minute warning, you might have seen me disappear from the press box, Zach, and wonder where the heck did he go? I was actually watching from the the section, I think it's like 249 or whatever, right by the concession stand where they have the food. And Jones and the offense take over on about the 15-yard line. You're thinking, okay, they can move down the field here. Maybe you get a field goal and you make it a one-score game going into the locker room. You're getting the ball back. Maybe you feel good about it. And he telegraphs a throw on second down right to Evan Ingram that's picked off. And it's just one of these things where he just can't seem to stop turning the football over. He's not getting any help from his supporting cast. And this is a team that was built around its offense, and they have the 30 first ranked offense in the nfl so things aren't great in east rutherford you know I, i've i've been seeing like a lot obviously so i right now i still live down in south jersey like outside of uh philadelphia so i hear the sports radio down here and all that stuff and kind of the same things that it's a little bit different because carson wentz is in like his fifth year now but a lot of the same you know questions and and issues that carson wentz is having are kind of the same as daniel jones in the sense that Number one, he's playing really poorly, and he's contributing to why they're losing these games. He's been inaccurate. He's turning the ball over too much, all of that. And then at the same time, like the everything around him is falling apart. Like he he's bad, but also everything around him is bad. So he's not exactly being put in the best position to succeed. You know, the receivers, even their their good receivers, Golden Tate and Darius Slayton, in theory, have not been getting separation like at all. Um, if you look at the numbers, I think that it, it's down across the board for all of their receivers right now. Evan Ingram. I don't even know what he is at this point. I mean, he he's in theory a weapon, but it's always been a theoretical thing. And we haven't really, I mean, in week two, towards the end, he was catching some balls, but he's just not like the, the first round pick level talent that they need him to be. And like you said, the offensive line, like there's like Kevin Zeitler has been pretty consistent throughout the season, but pretty much everybody else has not. You know, Andrew Thomas, the first two games I thought looked really good. I think he maybe took a little bit of a step back this last week. He's a rookie, though. That's going to happen. Like, I'm not really as worried about him. 
well, Will Hernandez looks decidedly average, which was one of the bigger questions, I think, coming into the year. I think um, being kind. I think that Will Hernandez has regressed pretty yeah, significantly. He, yeah. And, you know, Andrew Thomas looked pretty decent in week one. I think he's gotten worse with each week that's gone by. And you brought up the receiving core, Zach. I mean, the, the stat – I have a story coming out on Friday morning just as this podcast goes live on kind of the state of the offense. And, you know, spoiler alert, it, it's not great. Um, Darius Slayton had the two touchdowns in week one. He hasn't found the end zone either of the last two games. He's averaging 14 yards per reception. But the big bigger problem is along the offensive line and the running game and you know just crunching some of these numbers about the running game without Saquon Barkley you think back to the first week and he had that 37 yard or whatever it was catch against the Steelers and the 18 yard run a couple of plays before he got hurt against the Bears and a seven yard run mixed in there no other running back on the Giants roster Zach has a run longer than six yards in the first three weeks that's pathetic right yeah and you look at the 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 running back production in general Daniel Jones leads the Giants in rushing with 90 total yards he's led them in rushing in two games and the running backs on the roster Devonta Freeman Deion Lewis and Wayne Gallman they're averaging combined 1.2 yards per carry so you're talking about you know 38 inches per carry more than you and I are averaging for the Giants this year so when you can't throw the ball and you can't run the ball I don't know how you score I mean I just pulled up the, the league stats for rushing yards. They're last in the NFL, averaging 56 rushing yards a game. They have 170 total for the season. And I, I forget, what, what was the, do you remember what the total was Daniel Jones has? It's like 90-something, right? Yeah, I think he has 90 on the nose. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. He, and that's a quarterback leading. Like, it, you know, again, like those running backs, you know, Defonte Freeman's going to be, he can't be much worse than what they've had so far. But again, it, it kind of goes back to the offensive line. It, even if Saquon Barkley was back there, and I think you wrote about this uh, at some point this week, um, that even, even if he was back there, like it, or maybe you tweeted, I can't remember. But anyway, so he's had like two long runs. Other than that, you know, there's there's nothing that he that anybody, even that guy, can do with this offensive line where everybody's they're getting in the backfield every single play. There's no holes being opened up. Um, it's just a complete mess. And 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 then on top of that, like it it impacts their ability to run play action passes, which they're not doing enough of. Uh, Jason Garrett has been very uncreative. Uh, through three games and and Daniel Jones is at his best when there's play action and if the if the defense doesn't believe that you're going to run the ball or that it's going to be effective when you do then they're not going to play against that either and that, that's the key. And, you know, when I was driving home after the game on Sunday night, I called around to some of my, you know, scouts that I know around the league, some former scouts who have been helpful in the past. And just, you know, after watching that, I asked them point blank, how much does losing Saquon Barkley for the year impact Daniel Jones and his long-term development? And, you know, the point that these scouts made was now you can key in on the running back. You don't have to worry about, you know, the running back busting a big play. You can blitz Daniel Jones two and three times a series because you know that the rushing game isn't going to hurt you and you know there's that school of thought and I think that you're starting to see it around the league that you don't need to draft a running back high and quote-unquote running backs don't matter but I think in terms of the Giants when you built your roster around Saquon Barkley and you kind of pinned your offensive future with Daniel Jones and Barkley there that 
the whole point is with the offensive line not being able to block for anybody, not creating running lanes, if you had Saquon Barkley and he busted one or two 18 or 35-yard runs or a big play in the screen game, defense have to respect that. They don't have to respect that threat of the offense right now. So the, the all of the load is now on Daniel Jones's shoulders, and that's unfair for a lot of quarterbacks. It's especially unfair for a quarterback who's prone to putting the ball in harm's way, not holding on to the football, and is just in the infancy of his development but Zach I don't know about you when I watched him last week I don't see a quarterback who's getting better I see a quarterback who's regressing yeah you know I it, it it's funny how quickly things turn like I, I think he showed some things that you can be happy with the first two weeks but he it certainly wasn't it was like you were trying to we were trying to find the positives in games that weren't like what you want to see out of a guy that's supposed to be your franchise guy I know again he's in a difficult spot for sure I don't know how many quarterbacks would succeed with this group um, but I think it's fair to be to wonder like who he is and if he's going to be their guy going forward. And and, you know, these next 13 games are going to be pretty much an audition for him, because um, I think you and I both believe that Dave Gettleman will not be here um, at this time next year, if not at this time in a couple weeks, <laughs> to be honest with you, if it keeps going the way it did in week three. Um and I, and I, I think, had somebody and, ask me today how much longer I think Dave Gettleman has, and I said I don't know that he makes it to Christmas or New Year's at yeah. the end of the year. I think you know Black like Monday is certainly in play. Like that would make sense. But I mean, yeah. to go back to where this conversation started, the the thing that's going to ultimately cost Dave Gettleman his job is that he failed to build the offensive line. Like he's made a lot of other mistakes, but you know he's he's done a few good things that have kind of flown under the radar. But because of like how bad some of his bad stuff has been, like you know James Bradbury, we're going to talk about some him, I'm sure, in a bit, and, and some of these free agent signings. And I think this offseason he was okay, but the offensive line, like across all five guys, he brought in at this point, and and you add Nate Solder to the mix, and that was an abject disaster. Um, Andrew Thomas, you know, hopefully he'll improve and become a franchise left tackle, but who knows? Will Hernandez is not as good as he was supposed to be. They are relying on a guy who's never played center before, and he's going to have to block Aaron Donald this week, so that's going to be interesting. Kevin Zeitler's been good, but you gave up Odell Beckham essentially to get him. And, and there were technically separate trades, but they combined them or whatever. Um, yeah, and I think that the biggest issue along the offensive yeah. line, it's twofold. I mean, it, drafting Andrew Thomas number four overall this year, it, it's great, okay, if he develops into that franchise left tackle. But you had two other drafts to take an offensive yeah. tackle that you could try to develop either as a right tackle or to push Nate Solder. And you just think about this, you know, the way that they've handled the right tackle spot. They went out and they signed Patrick Omame to play guard because they were going to leave Eric Flowers at right tackle, and that wound up going bust on both fronts. Now you watch Eric Thomas and he looks like more than a competent offensive guard in Jacksonville. If you would have just moved him to guard, maybe you could have salvaged him, even though he probably needed a be- the benefit of a change of scenery. But just go back to last offseason. You bring in a Band-Aid in Mike Remmers. This year you bring in another Band-Aid in Cam Fleming, who might be their best offensive lineman through three games, but that's not saying much. And you relied on, as you said, a center who's never played center at any level in the NFL. And in his first four games, He had to go up against Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt. He had to go up against calling the signals on where Khalil Mack was on every play. And in theory, up against Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas, who were both hurt. And oh, by the way, the Giants still couldn't keep Daniel Jones upright or open up running lanes against the skeleton crew of the 49ers. And as you said, they have Aaron Donald this week. So you, you just have to wonder, why not make the switch? Why not put... Spencer Pulley at center and move Nick Gates over to right tackle just to try to spark something with this offensive line. The pro football focus, Zach, has ranked 31st out of 32 offensive lines in the league right now. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, offensive line is one position group that no matter how good you are, the rest of, on the rest of your team, if your offensive line is bad, you're just not going anywhere because your quarterback doesn't have time. Unless he's a quarterback that can make things happen when you know things break down and doesn't turn the ball over too much and whatever. Maybe you have a he has a good safety valve that he can rely on to throw it to when whenever things are breaking down. The Giants don't have a safety valve for him. I don't think Golden Golden Tate has been. I mean, he's been on the field but i haven't noticed him really um and evan ingram you know we talked about him before like it's just you know it the, the weapons thing like we talked about it as an issue and maybe we didn't highlight it enough about how they don't have like a number one guy that you can rely on when when everything falls apart but the fact that they it looks even worse that gettleman didn't add any wide receivers this offseason now yeah for sure and you look at the receivers who are drafted and i know some of them are hurt like denzel mims and jalen rager and michael Pittman, but that's just three in a loaded wide receiver class yeah. You could have gone out and signed a veteran wide receiver in free agency to complement this group. And I know the expectations were high for Darius Slayton, and he certainly exceeded expectations as a rookie last year and, you know, came on like gangbusters in the rookie, but in the, the regular season debut, rather in week one against the Steelers. But I, I don't know that he's going to put up the kind of production that he did a year ago because at least he had Saquon Barkley on the field for 13 games last year. At least Sterling Shepard was in the lineup from time to time. And, you know, the, the offensive line, I think, even played better a year ago than the line that's playing right now. So you put all that together and it was almost a perfect storm for Slayton to break out. as yeah. well. and, and yeah, and, and, you know, they they just don't have any options right now. Like they, there's no obvious solutions, and there all these issues that they have. You know, on off, we've been talking a lot about the offensive issues, and I don't see any obvious solutions there. Their hope is that Devontae Freeman looks like the Pro Bowler of old, but even if he is, I, I just don't see what he can do behind this line. And then you go to the defensive side of the ball, and they've struggled to stop the run, which was supposed to be a strength for them. In theory, that should get better, but. Uh, the second cornerback spot, it's a revolving door of guys that nobody heard of before this year besides Corey Ballantyne. Isaac Yaidam has been starting the last – he started last week. He played most of the snaps the week before. They just brought. They just claimed a guy off the practice squad of the Raiders named Madre Harper, who I had never heard that name in my life before the day they, they claimed him. And there's a good chance that at some point this season he starts. And then safety, it's almost even scarier because with Drew Bill Preppers out, who, by the way, wasn't really playing that great anyway – now you, you have to replace him with uh, Julian Love. And then if any of them get hurt, then you're left with Nate Ebner, Adrian Colbert, Sean Chandler, or Chris Williamson, who are the last two on the practice squad. And, and th- they like to play three safeties a lot. And Nate Ebner has played something like 20 snaps after not playing more than three since 2016. And even, That didn't go yeah, well in yeah, Chicago. Brom Henderson <laughs> said uh, when the assistant coaches talked to us the other day, that they didn't even really practice him at safety leading up to this this last game. And they kind of were like, all right, Nate, get out there. And and then what happened happened. Yeah, I think he gave up the 20-yard catch to Ross Dwelly, that, that uh, tight end that nobody heard of before. He got like three catches against the Giants secondary. So, like, the secondary is a mess. That was supposed to be something that Dave Gettleman revamped. I know they've had some arrests and opt-outs and blah, 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 and then offensive line. And those ultimately are going to wind up being the death knell for him. Yeah, I think that if you look at the positives on this defense, I think that Leonard Williams has taken the leap that everybody, at least the Giants, hoped that he would make coming into this year. I think he has two sacks already and, you know, on pace for a career high in his first double-digit sack performance. It's still early, but I think that he's been probably their most disruptive defensive lineman. And you look at, you know, Dexter Lawrence, he's in the mix there as well. And I think that Lorenzo Carter has played reasonably well, but they kind of are what they are on defense, right? Like, 
going into the year, I don't know about you, Zach, I, I thought this offense, and assuming Saquon was healthy and Shepard were healthy and neither of those things are the case, so obviously things change, but I thought this offensive line had the chance to really put up some numbers. And I thought that you could average out 27, 31, 32 points a game, and you'd have to win some games 35, 31, but you had the firepower to do it. They don't have it right now. They, they certainly don't have more than one quality defensive back. They have a really good defensive back in James Bradbury, but you know that was the biggest weakness going in. It's proven to be the biggest weakness. They've gone shopping for cornerbacks every week so far through the first three games. The linebacking core has kind of been average at best. Blake Martinez will look great in coverage or against the run, and then you'll see him just get pushed 15 yards off the line of scrimmage on a, a short touchdown run or a screen pass, and, and then you realize just how far away he is from being a complete running uh, linebacker. And I, I just think that when you can't score, you don't have dominant linebackers. You're not pressuring the quarterback consistently enough against the secondary that's prone to giving up big plays. And oh, by the way, you don't get off the field on third down or you commit senseless penalties on like third and 26 that extend drives. It, it's a mess and it's a recipe for how you go 0 and 16. If you wanted to build a team that goes winless, which is tough to do in the NFL, it doesn't happen very often. This is what you would do. This is what it would look like. And the craziest part about this, and we're recording this while the Jets are playing, which shows you how much interest we have in that game. Yeah. Um, and the Jets. If you look at ESPN's FPI, Zach, going into this week, the Giants had a 29% chance of landing the number one overall pick, the best odds. The Jets, who are winless as well and look like they could be on the verge of pulling the plug on Sam Darnold and Nick Gase, 19% chance for the number one pick. So the Giants have a better chance of finishing with the worst record in the league than the Jets do. I mean, That's crazy you to know, me. You know, 0-16, it's hyperbolic, of course. Like, the odds of a team going – like, you, you stumble into a win even if you don't deserve it oftentimes. But, you know, like, there's just no – I've, 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 I go of the belief that until they show me that they are capable of beating another team, then why would I think they can? Yeah, and, and, that's fair. And I think you can put, say that about both teams. Right? You can say that about the Jets or about the yeah, Giants. I was going to say, if not for the Jets, the Giants would be clearly the worst in the NFL. And who knows if the Jets you know, can sneak a win or some point. I don't know. But um, And even just going off your point, I, I looked at a 537. They like do a percentage chance of winning for each week. And they had the Giants not with the, with the higher percentage winning chance of any game except for one of the Washington games at home. So, so this could be the week? Going 1-15. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Because when I look at the schedule, I think there's a chance that you beat Cincinnati, even though Joe Burrow looks like he's already on the cusp of being a top 15 quarterback as a rookie. I mean, you just watch what he did a couple weeks ago against the Browns and the moxie that he showed in Philadelphia, even though I know they tied. But what he needed to do down the stretch in that game, uh, Joe Burrow looks like the real deal, Uh, you know. Other than Cincinnati, the Eagles at MetLife because that situation looks like it's unraveling more and more every day and they're getting more and more injured every day. I think that, you know, that might be the one situation in the NFC East that I'd prefer not to be over the Giants. And then you look at Washington, you know, the football team, if they're healthy with Ryan Kerrigan and Chase Young, the football team might get seven or eight sacks on Daniel Jones. I mean, you're, that's exactly the the issue. I mean, and, that, and that's kind of – like one of the main reasons why I believe like 0-16 is like a thing that's like a possibility because like we said, this offensive line, like usually if they're this bad, they don't really get much better. Like it, it, the odds, I mean, I guess they're playing more games together is the theory the Giants are going by, which is why they haven't subbed anybody yet. 
But you, you look at the schedule coming up, you know, you got Dallas coming up, and their pass rush is unreal. They have Demarcus Lawrence, Alden Smith, who looks like he used to. Uh, they have Everson Griffin, who they just added, and they have some other guys. And, you know, Washington, like you mentioned, Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat. Eagles, even though they're struggling, their defensive line is their strength. And, that, like, Fletcher Cox will destroy Nick Gates. So, I mean, we have Aaron Donald this week uh, that we're going to be watching them uh, go against. So, um, I, I just don't have any – like, a, I wouldn't even put the odds that very good that Daniel Jones makes it through 16 games without having to miss a game or two. Yeah, you know what? All it takes is one hit, right? And I think that for all the doom and gloom and all of the negativity, you know, I haven't seen him get rocked so far this year. You know, there was the bad decision when Bud Dupree, you know, batted his arm and the ball floated into the air for an interception in the opener at the nine yard line. Um, You know, he's been sacked. He's taken some hits on the run, but there haven't been, you know, knock on wood for the kid's sake. There haven't been any of those hits where you, you know, recoil and you think, oh my God, is he going to get up? You know what I mean? So at least he's not getting clobbered out there. You know what I mean? But I think the Giants offensive line has already given up something like 38 pressures through three games and that's just not that's just not how you develop a young quarterback that's not how you get a quarterback with fumbling issues who likes to be aggressive to hone in that aggressiveness and be productive that's yeah. just not how it works okay. so we have been pretty negative so and, and understandably so I, I would just say we, we can shine a light on a couple of guys who have been you mentioned a couple of them um i think james bradbury maybe has been the surprise of the season for me honestly he's just he's been absolute shutdown level corner i think he leads the league in, with nine pass deflections as an interception. Yep. Uh, at this rate, he'll probably make a Pro Bowl if he keeps it up like this. I mean, team, guys on losing teams like this often don't really get into the Pro Bowl, but um, I think people are talking about him enough. And th- this is going to go down as, you know, if not the best move that Dave Gettleman made, then certainly one of the top two or three. No, I agree. And he's, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later in the pod, but, you know, Dave Gettleman's probably given the Giants three to four cornerstone building block type of players. And I wrote about this earlier in the week. James Bradbury, to me, is second on that list. And you just look at what he's doing week after week with the interception against the Bears, the nine pass breakups that you brought up, his ability to play lockdown cornerback while mostly traveling against the opponent's best receiver, Allen Robinson with the Bears. Uh, it, you know, traveled a little bit with Juju in week one, but he's been, in my opinion, Zach, he's been their MVP offense or defense. I think Bradbury's been their MVP. You can make a case that Leonard Williams is the defensive player of the year, or at least the most improved player of the year on the roster. But, you know, I look at James Bradbury and that's a move that I think a lot of people kind of said, oh, well, they didn't get Byron Jones in free agency or they missed out on this cornerback. And yeah, they paid James Bradbury a lot of money, but was he kind of a, a consolation prize to the big names? And, and that just hasn't been the case. He's been everything the Giants had hoped for. And then some, you know, he was obviously going to be a great fit for the scheme because of how good he is in zone coverage and how much Graham plays zone defense, but he's played as well as anybody could have expected. Yeah. And it, it yeah, he's been honestly like a, better than I realized he would be. And, um, so a guy that they have under contract for three years now and whoever comes in next, like they can at least be confident in the fact that they have a number one quarterback and then they just have to fix what's going on across the field. Um, 
Yeah, you have to fix probably three other defensive yeah. back spots because, you know, you picked up the fifth year option on Jabril Peppers, but this is now two years in a row where he's been injured. And like you said at the top of the podcast, I, I don't think Jabril Peppers has really set the world on fire on defense. I mean, he's had a couple of nice, you know, punt returns and sparked a couple of plays on special teams, but I, I don't know that Jabril Peppers is a guy that you want to have as a three down safety. You know, Xavier McKinney, you hope that he, again, rookies are kind of you know wild cards and and lottery tickets anyway but you hope that the potential that he showed you at alabama he still has after breaking his foot so maybe you have one safety spot short up but you still need to figure out what you're going to do long term in the nickel because logan ryan isn't the answer there and, and you have nothing at outside cornerback opposite of bradbury so yes it's great they have the one cornerback and he has the chance to be a really good productive player for them for a long time but you know, there's still a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do in that secondary. Jumping off that, so you you wrote a story uh, a day or two ago where you kind of went through like what what cornerstone players has Dave Gettleman actually added since he became GM, um, and like, do you want to go through who, who the guys who you, who you think he did and who are like it's still the question marks? I thought it was a good uh, angle. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I um I just was thinking about his track record as GM and the fact that he's had three drafts, three off seasons worth of free agent, you know, periods and he's made 26 draft picks. Seven were on the starting lineup for the Giants this year on offense or defense, and five players drafted over the last three years are no longer on the roster. And, you know, you look at the cornerstone players, and I think there's four. I think you can look at, or maybe even three. You look at Dexter Lawrence, who, when I surveyed general managers and executives and scouts earlier this summer, Dexter Lawrence was far and away the player that these guys named the Giants' second best player, not named Saquon Barkley. And you look at Dexter Lawrence so far this year, he has a 79.3 run-stopping grade from Pro Football Focus and a 76.9 overall grade. So he's really lived up to expectations. I have Bradbury in that mix, and I I still have Saquon Barkley there as a cornerstone. And and yes, it's a little bit of an unknown how he responds to, you know, tearing his ACL and the rehab and how all that goes. But when healthy, he's probably a top-five running back in the league. But you talk about corner cornerstone foundational players in three off seasons to add just three to a 53 man roster. I just don't think that's good. Yeah, enough. Whoever replaces Dave Gettleman uh, is really going to have their work cut out for them. It's pretty much a full on rebuild, honestly, it's, especially depending on what they think about Daniel Jones. Cause, yeah, for sure. And I, and there are some yeah. building blocks, like some guys in that next tier down from cornerstones. Like I think Andrew Thomas, assuming he finds his footing at left tackle, you know, you talk to all these offensive line gurus and coaches and scouts and, you know, some teams that I spoke to around the draft had him as their number one tackle. And the Miami Dolphins and Cleveland Browns were both considering taking him in round one. Um, so when you have that kind of talent, you're that respected around the league, Hard for me to say you're going to be a bust after three games. So I have Andrew Thomas in the possible building block category, Zeitler. But the problem with Zeitler is he's going to be 31. He's going to be 32 next March. So if you're talking about two years from now being in a position to compete, what's Zeitler going to be at 33 years old as an offensive lineman? And then you look at Leonard Williams. We've talked about him. If they wind up paying him a long-term contract and keeping him in East Rutherford and he continues to play at this level, I think he can be a building block type of player. And then Lorenzo Carter is kind of the wild card there. I have him as kind of that last of that group. Yeah, I, I think that all tracks. And, you know, I mean, you can I, – like I, someone like Darius Slayton doesn't seem like he's a building block more as – He's like a number two, number three type receiver and guys like Will Hernandez, as we talked about, are not at that level. And 
you know, other than that, I mean, Dalvin Tomlinson, I'd be surprised if he even was back here next year based on how much money he could make. He's been pretty good this year too, by the way. We didn't mention him. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Kind of, yeah. But again, he wasn't picked by Gettleman. He was a, a Jerry Reese holdover. I'm more talking generally about the Rock. But yeah, in terms of Gettleman guys, like, yeah, there's not very many of those. And uh, that's kind of why they're in the position they are. Um, a lot of these clubs. Yeah, I have, I have um, Daniel Jones, Will Hernandez, Julian Love, and Jabril Peppers as kind of question mark players. Like if they exceed expectations so far and play a lo- above their production of these first three games and, you know, show signs of developing, they could be in that category of being a building block, but you just don't know right now. And, you know, you bring up a good point. I probably could have swapped out Darius Slayton for Will Hernandez because I don't think Hernandez has progressed. I think he's got progressively worse over the last two seasons since his rookie year where he showed a little bit of promise. And, you know, everybody talked about Mark Colombo being the guy to come in and get the most out of this offensive line and that Will Hernandez was the guy who's going to benefit the most. That just hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, they're in that, so this is a good way we can transition to the, to, to look ahead to this game coming up on Sunday a little bit. Cause I, I think the Rams, you know, they've, they've had some issues roster and they've like overspent on some guys, but they have a very talented core where you would take almost everyone in their core over the guys in the Giants core. You look at Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Robert Woods, Cooper cup, um, probably missing a, a person or two. Um, and so that's like a, a, a group that the Giants are going to have a lot of tr- trouble with, especially because I don't know if they match up with them particularly well. Um, wh- what are you thinking when you look at this matchup? The Rams just lost to the Bills by like three points after they went down by like a lot and then they came back and they killed the Eagles league before that and they beat the Cowboys in week one. So they're, they're a team that's a little bit better than I thought they were going to be. Yeah, I, you know, I thought they showed me something when they beat the Cowboys in week one. I thought that was a statement win for them. Um, and the Bills, I think, are for real. I think the Bills are one of the top four best teams in the AFC. So, you know, going cross country and losing on the road, I think, don't think there's much shame in that. Um, but I don't know about you, but when I watch the Rams, Zach, I, I kind of feel like you're seeing – vintage Sean McVay. The offense isn't as predictable as it had been the last year or two. I think Jared Goff is playing within himself and being a game manager. And, you know, Daryl Henderson as a running back seems to be an ideal replacement for Todd Gurley. You know, people kind of scratch their heads when they traded Gurley to the Falcons earlier this offseason. But, you know, I think that Henderson is a guy who's really stepped in. And I think that this is a defense that could pose some issues for the Giants who just can't seem to get going, as we talked about. I mean, Jalen Ramsey at outside cornerback, Donald up the middle. We've talked about the mismatch that is against Nick Gates. And, you know, they just have playmakers on both sides of the ball. That And, and you, you have to go cross-country too, which is no small feat in today's COVID-19 environment. Yeah, and I mean, one of the biggest areas of concern, like defensively, you look at – I mean, yeah, so you look at – they have Cooper Cup in the slot. So I guess that would mean that Darnay Holmes is going to have to cover him because Logan Ryan and Julian Lover kind of have to focus on some other things uh, with Jabil Peppers out. Cause they kind of removed like a, a guy who can play up the line of scrimmage and stuff. And then you look at the outside, like I'm sure they're going to move Robert Woods around and they're probably going to have to try and get James Bradbury to follow him. Um, and then they have two tight ends that are pretty good in Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett, who are going to pose matchup problems for those safeties uh, who have had troubles tackling and, the linebackers who Blake Martinez is up and down as a in coverage. So uh, Jared Goff, if, if Nick Mullins is going to pick apart this defense, then Jared Goff certainly is too. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think that he has some better weapons to, to throw the ball to. So I, I think this gets out of hand pretty quick, actually. And I think that it's one of these games where, you know, it's going to call into question even more. Is Daniel Jones the guy? You know, the whispers about Dave Gettleman's future are only going to get louder. You're going to start to wonder whether Jason Garrett is the offensive coordinator to turn this thing around. And, you know, you look at their track record in terms of Jason Garrett using pre-snap motion in Dallas. They haven't used pre-snap motion very much at all. Um, you know, this year they haven't really gone play action at all, and that thread is kind of gone without Barkley being in the backfield. You don't really need to respect that. So, you know, I, I think this is one of these deals where if the Rams score 27 points, I think they win the football game. And you look at what the Rams have done this year, they've hung tight and, and they've, you know, put up some points in all of their their games so far. I mean, they lost to the Bills. You pointed it out, 35-32. They beat the Ram- they beat the Eagles rather 37-19 and they edged out the Cowboys in the fourth quarter 20 to 17. So they're capable of scoring. They're capable of making key stops on defense when they have to. And those are two things the Giants just haven't shown the ability to do right now. Yeah. Um and let's get to how we think this game plays out. So I I see I I think the Rams are going to beat them pretty handily. Maybe not like blowout level of last week i think i have them at uh 31 to 17 um i i, I think the, the Rams, especially because like you said daryl henderson's looked pretty good uh they have a couple other running they have malcolm brown and cam Akers, and they have those tight ends and those receivers i just I think the giants are gonna have a really tough time stopping that offense yeah i i do too and i think they're gonna have trouble moving the football um i i think that you know that's a pretty accurate score I think there's a chance they lose something like 37 to 17 like I just that was alarming last week for me when you're without Solomon Thomas you're without Nick Bosa you're without on offense Nick Mullins you're without your top running backs and the Giants got gashed on both sides of the ball so you know to me until like you said they show you the ability to compete with teams let alone win games it's going to be really tough to pick them to win I agree all right we can uh we can wrap up on that point before we go Make sure you guys are subscribing to this podcast. We're on all the apps, Apple, Spreaker, uh, Google Play, uh, all the good stuff. And leave us some reviews. That helps us uh, get this listened by a lot more people. And subscribe to our tech service so you can hear from us directly instead of you know going through the clutter of Twitter. And you can go and find that by going to nj.com slash text. Uh, any last uh, comments before we get out of here, Matt? No, it's a shame that we're not going to be in L.A. It's one of my favorite American cities. The stadium looks unbelievable. And in any other year, we'd be out there together. Um, You know, at some point, I think the Giants play the Chargers next year. So we have that to look forward to. But, you know, of all the things that COVID-19 has robbed us of, and certainly our hearts go out to everybody who was affected by the disease or lost a loved one especially – but losing out a trip to LA, that ranks pretty high on the list of things that I'm bummed out about professionally yeah, because of the virus. My family, I was born in LA, actually. Fun fact. Moved when I was moved oh, when beautiful. I was two years old. But I, I my family also lives out there, so I that's like a yearly trip where I go a couple of times. A lot of times I wind up going for work. It works out that way, especially when I was working in the Pac-12. Um, and yeah, so I was. I you, you see, you look at so as sports writers, we look at the next year's schedule pretty far in advance and. You get you get like yes. You get Where are the good excited trips? about what road trips you're getting, and this year was L.A. and Seattle were the main ones I was really excited about. But and Chicago, those three were the they were the big yeah. three for me. It's three a, of my favorites. Know that it's a thing we lost, but we'll get it back soon. And I guess on the bright side, we get to spend time with our families a little more. So, 
Of course, and nothing wrong with that. Zach, it was a lot of fun. uh, Yeah, we'll we'll wrap up on that note. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll get you guys a pod uh, sometime early next week.